0: Thanks, worship team. Uh, I love that phrase, right? Jesus Christ, you're my living hope. Uh, we come together with, on a belief that, that hope is something that's not a construct. It's not an idea. It's not a pattern of behavior or even wishful thinking. Hope is something animate, something alive. And to confess that we come to look to the living hope today. And wherever you are this morning, uh, we pray that you experience the warm, welcome, compassionate grace of our Lord Jesus Christ over you in the midst of a busy Christmas season. We're going to celebrate later in our service, as has been mentioned before, that we're doing something here at Fellowship uh, with the Stephen Ministry. And there's been 42 Stephen Ministers that have been trained. Stephen Ministry is an animate hope of sharing um, the love and reality of God during difficult seasons in our life. We believe that all of us go through difficult times, and Stephen Ministry exists to be a one-on-one care ministry for those experiencing um, different types of loss or opportunity to uh, get through different types and seasons of our lives. And we have a video to tell you a little more about that. Who are Stephen Ministers?
1: Who are Stephen Ministers?
0: We are lay people from Fellowship Mount Laurel and Collingswood
1: who have been trained to provide one-on-one Christ-centered care. Showing compassion. Showing compassion for those who are hurting or in times of need. You could call us the after people. After the phone call you hoped you'd never get. After the funeral when everyone is left. And the emotions you held at bay come crashing in on you.
0: After the relationship falls apart and the bottom falls out of your life. After the doctor says, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry, but there's nothing more we can do. After the nursing home director shakes your hand and says, welcome to your new home. Welcome to your new home. After the last child hunks the horn, waves and drives away, and the house suddenly seems empty. After the gavel comes down, the handcuffs go on, and your loved one is led away. After the baby arrives. After the baby arrives.
2: Demanding more of you. Demanding more of you than you ever dreamed
1: possible. After you find a pink slip with your final paycheck, after your family and friends have heard your story one too many times, but you still need to talk it out.
0: Our desire is to see people
1: People of God wrap their arms around one another. And
0: so fulfill the calling of scripture that many would be part of the caregiving work because of Christ.
1: So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people to equip his people to equip his people for works of service works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure attaining to the whole measure the whole measure of the fullness of Christ
0: That phrase, um, no one suffers alone, is something we believe that God gave to us as a care ministry and believe that we are not called to end suffering. Uh, What an impossible task that that would be. And even recognizing that uh, it's often in suffering where we understand more of the love and hope that is found in Christ Jesus. Um, but that we would come alongside. And uh, this morning, we do celebrate uh, Stephen Ministers and the 50 hours of training that they have taken uh, to get to this point, and we'll acknowledge them at the end of the service. If you think 50 hours of training doesn't sound like a lot, stack it in two-and-a-half-hour segments, say on a Tuesday night, every week since May, and you'll start to get an idea of what uh, these dear people have um, done We're also looking at Christmas, and so we're going to look at, with Stephen Ministers and Christmas, the very first ministers of the new covenant. You were wanting it, weren't you? The very first people who are given the job of taking Jesus to the world, right? Very first people. But as we do so, I want to just complain a little bit um, about the difficulty of being a substitute preacher, so I'm not the primary preacher here. I'm the sometimes preacher. I'm one of those, oh, where's Pastor Mark again? <laughs> preachers? Um, and to to be a substitute, there's a bunch of difficult things. We've got a hard life in many ways. but one of the hard things is, because Pastor Mark is a regular preacher, no, notice I didn't say normal, um, but <laughs> the regular preacher, um, he has certain things that like, he's passionate about, he knows tons about. And so as a substitute preacher, you kind of have to know those because you have to steer clear of his topics. Like for instance, what if I read something from Tolkien, right, that I thought was worthy of sharing, I can't share Tolkien references. Pastor Mark has that down. I can't say, like, Samwise Gullum head, like, guy blessing, because I know lots about it. But I can't be making those points because Tolkien solely rests in the expertise of your regular preacher. So the rest of us, we have to go on the side. Or what if I came across as a substitute preacher a quote from this guy, C.S. Lewis? You're not allowed to quote him. There's a moratorium on C.S. Lewis, like only Pastor Mark gets to do C.S. Lewis, right? So if I experienced something with C.S. Lewis, what I'd have to say is, as Pastor Mark saw, C.S. Lewis said, right, I got to borrow down the line. Now, I happen to really like C.S. Lewis. I just got five of his books for, his birth, for my birthday a couple years ago. They were from Pastor Mark, but beside the point... <laughs> That is true. Or how about this one? This is a tough one for those of us with young families, okay? I got three young kids at home. They're not always angels, right? And so I'd love to talk to you about the spiritual lessons that I've learned from working and raising children and how hard it is to raise three young lives. I'm not allowed to complain about my kids. Why? Because I only have three compared to Pastor Mark's nine. Right? So I'm not allowed to say anything as the substitute because, again, he's the authority on the issue. And this one, he takes a chunk out of church history. I can't talk about anything from really the first 500 years of early church history. Why? Because Pastor Mark has read every single document written by the early church fathers and da, 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 da. So like, I can't just like float an Augustine biscuit out for you, right? I can't, I can't even say Tertullian without being like, well, I was talking to Pastor Mark and he referenced, right? This is the lot that we have as substitute preachers around here. We've got to avoid all the hot topics. So I've been thinking, it's time for me to, to create my own. I think it's time. See, like, Pastor Jim, he's already taken a section of the country, right? Anything west of the Mississippi, Pastor Jim gets all those references, right? If you say something with cowboy and don't give him some sort of credit, you've done a disservice as a preacher. You can't do it. I actually think the phrase west of the Mississippi is off limits, unless you're Pastor Jim. So, Anyway, here's, here's something I thought I've been, been thinking through. How about this? Some fine woodworking, sawdust and soul. Come on, it's got a little hipster vibe to it. The thing is, like, Pastor Jerry's into fine woodworking and Jim, and, and again, does all these little things with woodworking, so I can't really go this direction, so i got to find another direction. How about this? If you know preachers online or anything, that nautical references are big in the preacher world, Right? Jesus is my true north. In the storms of life, he will guide us through, right? There's a lot of good material. I could be the nautical guy. Only problem is I don't have a boat, and I may know how to swim, but I, so I like can't show up here with boater shoes and like the anchors and pretend because I'd be a poser even though that, that market's still open at fellowship, okay? So if one of you is like, oh, I'm nautical, wide open. You don't have any competition here yet. So anyway, I, I figured out where I want to settle, where I really want to find my niche, and it's gonna be here. (laughs) If any preacher stands up here and does a Baby Yoda joke or shares a Baby Yoda meme, I want credit, okay? Let's get this early. This just came out. All baby Yoda things go through Ben. Who's, oh, who's that Pastor Ben guy? Oh, he's the baby Yoda guy. Okay, got that? And I'm saying all this because I'm going to look at these early church ministers in the beginning of Luke 1 and 2. But to do that, I got to go into the belly of the Pastor Mark Beast because I'm going to quote a Puritan. There's no more sacred ground than Puritans here at the at Fellowship for Pastor Mark. And so all I can say is that Baby Yoda said it was okay for me to quote Pastor Mark quoting a Puritan. So that's the authority on which I stand before you this morning. We're going to read Luke chapter 2 and I'll explain what a Puritan has to do with Luke 2 in a minute. There's a, if you look at verse 25 and following... We're going to jump back to a couple other characters in the story, Um, but I thought for reading purposes, I'd introduce you to these two delightful people, Simeon and Anna. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against so that though the thoughts and Of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until age 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we are not here very different than Simeon and Anna. And we walk in in our own life circumstances and in our own um, busyness, our own places of uh, need insecurity, fear, our own places of joy, but we walk in and we ask you simply, may we adore Christ this morning. May we be people who gather and who get a glimpse to see of what you have done and who you are, believing that you, Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in talking about Simeon and Anna and others that we'll include in a moment, I'm gonna use this word affection, right? Not confection, affection. Now this word affection or the affections is a word that Jonathan, Pastor Mark said, that Jonathan Edwards said um, in a book he wrote called Religious Affections. Jonathan Edwards um, was the, one of the first presidents of Princeton University. He was one of the primary preachers during the time of Great Awakening. God has used him mightily in that time period and since. Uh, if you're familiar with an author named John Piper, speaker named John Piper, you, you ask John Piper what all about all his books. He says, he literally says this in one of his talks. He says, I don't know why people buy all my books. They should just buy one. I say the same thing in every book. And he said, and what I say is just from Jonathan Edwards. He says, and John Piper, so much of what has led his ministry is a religious affections written by this man, this famous book written by Jonathan Edwards. I want to read you an excerpt. I'm going to go a little slow. It's a little heady. Um, But stay with me if you would. But it is doubtless true and evident from the scriptures that the essence of all true religion lies in holy love. And that in this divine affection and a habitual disposition to it, and that light which is the foundation of it, and those things which are the fruits of it, consists the whole of religion. But yet it is evident that religion consists so much in affection as that without holy affection there is no true religion now now the word religion comes with all kinds of baggage for us in his conversation what he is talking about in the 1700s is a true relationship with Jesus Christ lived out every day That's what he's referring to and pointing to this idea of affection, a deep longing or a desire, a life-mobilizing hunger. That the story of Christianity isn't one about effort or good people trying to get gooder. It's a story of one about people who are loved. The pursuit from the soul does not come from a space of discipline. Pursuit and its discipline come from a motivation a holy affection that underlies all of the other things. If and he would separate out, Edwards would separate out our understanding or what we know, and then our holy affection or what we want. And what he says is, while it's, you know, we would say it's a lot easier to stack things in the what we know, we're really the engine of faith, the engine of of um. Connection with a holy God and love for one another comes in this holy area of want or motivation. Something much deeper than a fickle feeling or, or something that comes and goes, but rather very at the root of us is what are we pursuing and desiring? And, and Edwards would be a great advocate for the affections, the things which are, our soul longs for and feels and desires, um, not trying to just stack all of wisdom into a knowledge category, but recognizing that their story is bigger, And we access more through understanding these deep uh, affections of our lives. I believe Simeon and Anna and these others we're going to introduce are really precious examples of holy affection. Of what it means, these holy affections that Edwards speaks about. And it's why we bring Pastor Mark in to reference Jonathan Edwards. Uh, First thing. These first ministers received the deep affection of God at their point of vulnerability. Okay, look at the text um, in one and two, if you would, or load up the iPhone or grab one in your pew Bible. It's page 830 and following. Um, We're going to look at the very first people that found out that Christ was coming And the very first people who took that message of Christ to the world, the very first people, this fragile message of Christianity, this tiny baby that came to change cosmic history is given to these people first. The first is a a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. We see this in verse 5 of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. And we see... um, This message that is given, and it says this in verse 6, "...both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old." So very early on, the establishing of the story is actually at the point of, yes, they had this pursuit of God and they had this place of vulnerability in their lives. They were doubting and barren. You will see later in the chapter of Zechariah's response was one of doubt. And this is what the text is emphasizing about these people. We then see Mary in Luke 1 26, an emphasis on youth. We see um, also in Matthew chapter 1, in reference to Mary, there's this whole virgin uh, would would be conceived, this prophecy, and Mary says, I'm with child. And Joseph is like, Whoa, what is going on? I want out of this. Joseph does not believe her, right? I mean, her stomach was not glowing. She didn't have the baby in five days. Like, this was, this whole virgin thing was, it, it didn't make any sense. And Joseph, like, how do I get out of this relationship and to do it well and to honor her and honor God in the process? But clearly, this, is this our relationship has come to an end. It took a dream where God sent a messenger to Joseph to change his mind. But so you have Mary and Joseph now believing a story, but everyone did not get that dream, right? So literally, they are walking around, reputation stained, and if they would declare, well, actually, this is, you know, the verb, ver, it wouldn't work. Didn't work. So you have these people who are walking around, reputation stained. We know very early on they are the people who are bringing Christ into the world. We see their poverty that is spoken throughout. We see. Uh, We see it even as they're coming to the temple. If you look up higher in Luke chapter 2, there's two different types of sacrifices that will be brought to the temple at that time, according to Jewish custom. uh, Mary and Joseph will be bringing the the sacrifice of those that are... uh, more poor, that the people who were not able for for this sacrifice, they had to offer this sacrifice, and so from the very beginning, here they are with the Christ child, the treasure of all nations, and they're coming with a poorer sacrifice in that line, in that group of people, and that's... Clearly um, demonstrated in this story is the attention to poverty. Uh, then we have Simeon and Anna, and there's this whole thing about age. We don't know how old Simeon is, but Simeon, as soon as Simeon sees the baby, his heart leaps with joy, and he says, "Oh, good! Now I can go." He says, "I now can pass on because I have seen this." Because he was very old in age, Hannah, we are given an age. She was seven years with her husband, and then lived till age 84. Life expectancy back then, 39. She's doing great, okay? Now that's also, infant mortality, unfortunately, was a lot um, worse back then. And, but if, even if you factor in infant mortality, average living adult lived to their mid-50s. In our day and age, Hannah would be a person well over 100 years old in and out of the temple. She is, and you hear the words after, I love this after Anna. She says, after um, Anna had come to her, then she goes, and anyway, it says in the verses 36 to 38, that she went out and proclaimed to those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here you have like the very first words being declared from a prophet is this 84-year-old Anna who has been in the temple potentially sixty six decades, 60 years, um, living this way. And we see very old and in her life alone. The text is very conscious. And we'll see this right throughout the New Testament, that who the message of Christ is brought to. Right? And we see that in the shepherds, but we also see it in, in lepers and the thief on the cross and, and, and in the poor town of Bethlehem and to those, to the Samaritans, the racially disenfranchised. Um, there's this incredible study you can see with how Jesus cared for women who were not treated well in the Roman Empire in a way that he elevated, protected, and demonstrated the worth. And here you even have, right? So, who does Jesus come and the women are oppressed during this time period in the Roman Empire? He's got Anna coming to declare the voice first as a prophet and then for his resurrection he'll have the same with Mary Magdalene, a prostitute being among the first to declare that Jesus has risen from the dead. So intentionally is this message brought to those who might be pushed aside, but it's also really cool to see who it's brought by. And this message that would be brought by Zachariah and Elizabeth, as they declared it, by poor Joseph and Mary, by 84-year-old, take in our day, let's say 110-year-old Hannah, very first people professing this message. So important in these early messengers, as we see in the text, is they received the deep affection of God at the point of their vulnerability. I think once we, if you've been around uh, God and God things for a while, and you see yourself as, wow, I really want to help people. I really want to love people in the same way I've been loved and, and care for people. There, something happens, um, and it's that while we understand God's affection, God's a warm, kind gaze, his truth-filled, uh, love-filled uh, attention to people who are who who may not have anything to do with God. We understand God's affection for others, but sometimes, if we've been ministering for God in our families or at our um, different environments, at our workplaces, and trying to share things about Jesus, it's easy to see God's affection for others, but it's. Easier to feel God's expectation of yourself. Um, I'll tell you something that happened this morning. Eight o'clock service. I come and there's a, t- three technology problems, two of which were my fault. The third one I haven't asked because it probably was too. right? And I was just so thrown at eight o'clock service. That's the service Kongswood gets where I'm normally at. And I just was really thrown and I went after the service and I'm, I'm just in my office and I'm praying and asking the Lord. And, and immediately I think to myself, you know, God views you compassionately because that's what I just preached. and But like I'm like, no, I'm grumpy. Why am I so frustrated? Why do I care? Why does bother me so much? Why do I care what it looked like? Why do I care what they think in Collingswood? Why am I so bound up in this and so mad at myself? But then I'm like, well, it's the iPad that messed up the technology, and how come that didn't work out? I'm frustrated there. And I'm going different directions, and I literally am filled with the own words that I'm preaching this morning is, unless I know God's affection for me, I've got nothing to share. And I sat there and said, how does God, in the midst of my own insecurity, frustration, annoyance, guilt, view me with compassion? It was so hard to do. Super hard. Because I'd start thinking like, wow, God views me with compassion because, man, if the iPad maker had just da-da-da-da-da, then the technology wouldn't have. No, no, no. No, God views me in this moment, even though I'm the preacher, not with expectation only, but with compassion. Yeah, but if only did it da my mind, it had such a hard time going there. One of the practices of prayer that I'm doing um, right now on my own journey is... Uh, Derived from four people looking at the New Testament, and as they looked at the New Testament, they call us an Emmanuel prayer. They looked at the New Testament and said, "We we see a few things in the New Testament. One." Talk to God about everything. Two, um, do nothing out of fear. Three, love each other deeply. It's just all over the place. And they said, okay, with those macro messages that we keep getting in the New Testament, what's a way we could pray alongside of that and alongside of Scripture? And one of the ways they talk about praying, one of the, the stages of the prayer is to say, how does God view you with compassion or affection right now? It's really hard for me. If you ask, how does God view other people with affection or compassion, it's much easier for me. But when we think of ourselves as, no, now we're supposed to be doing something, but check out the text. What do they emphasize about these people? Emphasized their vulnerability. So core to us as minister, and even as we commission Stephen Ministers today, the very power of God will rest far more in our areas of vulnerability than it will in the areas of our strength. That God ministers through our vulnerability. Henry Nowen says this, how can we embrace poverty as a way to God when everyone around us wants to become rich? Poverty has many forms. We have to ask ourselves, what is my poverty Maybe it's lack of money or lack of emotional stability, lack of a loving partner, lack of security, lack of safety, lack of self-confidence. Each human being has a place of poverty. That's the place where God wants to dwell. How blessed are the poor, Jesus says. This means that our blessing is hidden in our poverty. We are so inclined to cover up our poverty and ignore it that we often miss the opportunity to discover God who dwells in it. Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden. Second thing that the text takes notice of these unusual early ministers is that they have a deep affection for God himself. Again, originally the story came to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Then it went to Mary and Joseph. And eventually we see uh, the story given to uh, Simeon and Anna. In verse, for Elizabeth and Zechariah, we see in verse 6 of chapter 1, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. About Mary, we see in uh, the Magnificat, as she writes from, uh, Magnificat's a fancy word for her psalm of praise in response to after hearing her uh, chosen role in the responsibility of bearing the God child. Um, in verse 47 through 50, we can see the, uh, the affect. The desire, the longing, the treasuring that Mary has for God Himself. Simeon also writes a declaration of praise right after. This is in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 2. So that he's a devout man, a righteous man, and then goes into this. Uh, psalm of praise, Anna responds the same To Look at 36, 37, and 38. We see over and over the testimony of Anna, the, the legacy of Simeon, the, the type of people Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph were. They were people who are, have a spoken, demonstrated, intentional vulnerability, but they are also people that have a holy, Love a divine affection for God. We know so little about what what they knew. We know so little about who they knew. None of these people became famous church leaders. None of them held office that we are aware of. None of them wrote scripture and and were part of the, the assembly of the canon of the Bible. None of them were among the apostles, none of the six of these uh, were seen or recorded as doing anything miraculous in the text. It's not for their talent or even their production that we see their credentials for being the first ministers of the gospel is simply having a vulnerability and having hearts that love to treasure, live, and tell about the desperate affection of God to the world. Tending this Jonathan Edwards divine love or this holy affection for God is literally our greatest calling as people and as responders to God. I really believe that Jonathan Edwards says this in the holy affections. Men will trust in God no further than they know him, They cannot be in the exercise of faith in him one ace further than they have a sight of his fullness and faithfulness in exercise. Saying that you can't walk beyond what you know. Your your expression of Christianity and doctrinal statements and all of these things, yes, and knowing and understanding, all really good things, but you can't take a step further Than knowing him directly, and I love what he says here. Says, can know one ace further than they have sight of his fullness and his faithfulness. Doesn't say in theory. It says in exercise. The exercising of that trust. That's what we see in Simeon. For decades ahead of time, in a time period where God appears mostly silent, Simeon is exercising, living day by day, this trust, this longing. Anna, year after year, living this way. Mary, by herself, a poor girl, like taking care of her business and is being looked after by God, as she, day after day, has affection for God and lives out that trust every day. I really um, have come to believe that uh, it's really important to continually be exercising our faith. Like, um, and I think God gives us lots of opportunity to do that. Suffering's often an opportunity to do that. Some of that is, is actual work we do, right? And I know my wife, uh, she and I, after uh, we were married, we committed to do something every week for a while. We called it heartscaping, probably the corniest title of all time. And the whole idea was like, okay, our hearts and landscaping, heartscaping. We no longer use that title, and she'd cringe uh, if she heard me say it right now. But the whole thing of heartscaping was we would say, okay, what's churning? What's happening most in the landscape of your life? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? What are you afraid of? But actually, let's go into it. What are you sad about? What are you grieving? And ask, what is really going on? And you can ask yourself questions like, okay, well, what am I thinking about when I'm not thinking about anything else? That always comes to mind. Or, or, or whatever, what's showing up in my dreams? What's, what's churning inside of me? And it seems like, man, it has nothing to do with God. That has everything to do with this. But not God. God's got the spiritual stuff. But we we take that stuff of what's churning and then we'd say, where's Jesus? How does Jesus speak into that? How does the exercise of a living, a living, a living hope enter into this right now? This relationship I'm struggling with, this test I'm worried about, this this bill that I can't pay, where does my faith integrate? Where does Jesus himself in his, as, as Edward says, in his fullness integrate into this space which is churning inside of me? And it is so important that we as a people talk to one another and seek out people who learn to trust, who've learned to trust in the face of of cancer. They've learned to, to, in in the midst of death and sorrow and confusion, learned where his presence is, that we might together in the midst of our churning and our burning, recognize that it is there in that wounded space, in that vulnerability That God's affection moves for us and ours in response grows in him. and some of you are here, and you're like, I cannot believe I'm even sitting in here. What am I doing? Who are these weird people? All that kind of thing. And, and you're like, man, I, I, Jesus stuff, some of that seems really cool, but the whole church and institution and religion and blah, 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 all that's really clunky and difficult and funny for you. And I, I would say I'm, I'm one of those people that has wrestled there, right? And so what you can feel is like, oh, man, either they're all out to lunch, and they don't know what they're singing, those crazy people, or you're sitting there saying, man, what am I missing? Why am I such a bad person, I can't figure this out, And, and who's where, and who's right, who's wrong, who's to blame, all that kind of stuff. What if you just for a moment, in the midst of maybe it's cynical, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's anger, whatever it is, instead of trying to stuff it, say, what would Jesus say to this, this doubt, this confusion, this anger, this frustration of even being in this room? Because... In that space, you're going to hear a lot less like, well, shape up and learn those songs. But you're going to learn the deep affection of God and his sight for you in the midst of struggle, in the midst of churning. And it is only there that that affection is returned by us in this Jonathan Edwards holy love. Lastly, we see and simply is that each of these people we see have a growing affection for the people that God loves. Simply God loves people. It's it's decorated throughout the book. He loves people of all creeds. He loves people of all denomination. He loves people of all gender. He loves people of all nationalities. God loves people and puts them at an incredibly high place in his creation. And having. A growing affection for God will grow our affection for other people. We see this with Zechariah's testimony, Anna's testimony, Mary's song, and and, um, Simeon's response of praise, all having to do with more than just themselves, but an outward desire for other people. And look, I'm saying growing affection because there are some people in here like, if that dude says the word affection, One more time, I'm going to punch him in the throat, right? (laughs) Affection this, buddy, right? And, And I know, like I know I'm picking out a word, and that's why I'm blaming it on Pastor Mark, who quoted Jonathan Network. I'm so far removed from that word that it's okay. But it is kind of a troubling word, and you're like... And, right, we see people who seem to come out of the womb, like, like Mother Teresa's grandchild that just kind of, like, flitter around on, like, butterflies and, like, are all of a sudden, like, baby bunnies are just gathering around them, and they're just holy and kind and nice about everything, and that's just their disposition. They're one of those nice people that you just want around, but that's not me, right? That's those affectionate types, but that's not my type. And this is why I, I want to be careful in this situation the growing because God will always grow us as we are. He'll grow us um, and he'll take us from where we are one step at a time but it's going to be amongst personality and yes some of us are more gruff or blunt or clumsy, socially awkward don't not take care of people say I'm more of a this don't talk to me about affection that's not my thing. I, I really think that the route there is not hey, you really need to get nicer. These are these four words that are taken wrongly when you speak them in public. Or it's not for wives, you to elbow your husband and say, see, that's what you did at the Christmas party last night. Mm -hmm. Right? Too gruff. The way we become more affectionate, I'm going to use the word, the way we become more drawn to God's love and to giving God's love is through our gifted areas of vulnerability. Vulnerability. And as the affection and care of God comes in, that's when we return in response. It is not through, oh, how do I be nicer to this person again, right? It's in it's understanding, God, where have you been kind in the midst of my insecurity? Where have you been present in the midst of my pain? Where have you seen me that others did not? And that is what gives us eyes to see we as a church are celebrating Stephen ministry, and the reality is, is all of us face uh, situations where we're looking to try to bring some hope and bring some life and energy to, and we're looking out for people in different ways. As each of us walk towards Christmas, let us remember the greatest way to care for those around us is to deeply understand God's care for us. And as we celebrate these Stephen ministers' um, We got to have interviews with these dear people and it was like back-to-back. It was really actually aggressive when we did it and it was overwhelming. We did like 12 in one day or something. That's a lot of people. I don't remember experiencing God's presence in the unique way that I did during those Stephen Ministry interviews. And here's why. Because story after story often had tremendous suffering. But these are people who have suffered, but they've let God love them. And if I could say one thing about these Stephen ministers, we'd say, yeah, I think they're really skilled. And yeah, they're really awesome. And I have an opinion who um, I think should be my Stephen minister who I'm going to talk to. All those things are real. But beyond that, these are a group of people who are dearly, dearly loved. Um, and it is only from that that we're commissioning them to go and be available. And we're going to have Jerry come up and do the commissioning of these dear folks uh, at this time. Well, Good
2: morning. This is a, uh, a wonderful day. Um, it's uh, when you um, have a vision, uh, a dream, and you see that come to fruition, it is always a wonderful day. Um, back in February, um, I, along with six other pastors um, and wives, we um, traveled to Southern California uh, for a week of intense training as Stephen leaders, uh, and I'm going to ask them to, if they would come up, please. So, Mike and, and Joe, if you'd come up here, and Faith and Scott, I'm not sure where you are. Ben, as well, um, and my wife, Linda. Linda. Last but not least, the purpose of our going and training was that we could bring Stephen Ministry uh, to this body, uh, both here uh, and at our uh, Collingswood campus. And so then we set about, um, as Ben said, we... um, we set about, we received about 50 applications for Stephen ministers. and uh, We sat through uh, those, uh, what seemed to us, grueling days of, uh, of interviews, and we ended up, the Lord gave us 41, not 42, 41 um, Stephen ministers from that group of applications. We began on the 4th of June, and for two and a half hours, for most Tuesday evenings, through the summer and the fall, we met, um, and I wanna say to those who are here uh, family members of Stephen Ministers and the trainees, thank you for giving them to us for the time uh, that you did for allowing us to have them. And now here we stand at the end of 50 hours of training. We stand ready uh, to commission our very first class of Stephen Ministers here at Fellowship Community Church. These inter- individuals who I'm about to introduce uh, demonstrate to us that they have been called by God to serve his church in this capacity. And beyond that, what became evident to us is that they have been gifted by the Spirit of God with a heart of compassion and that they are fit to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So having been called by God and gifted by the Spirit, they have now been trained to serve as Stephen ministers, manifesting the love, the care, the compassion of our Lord Jesus to those in need so that no one needs to suffer alone. And so it is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that I present these Stephen Ministers to you. As I call your name, will you please just come forward. Um, right, come right here and work your way across the front of the stage. Terry Bales. Diana Barrett. Luke Bader. Barb Burner, Becky Bicking. Sue Burt, Becca Clark, Susan Compton, Amy and Jim Dierks, Thomas Dillon, Colleen Doyle, Sean Ebersaw, Gwendolyn Estrick, Roy and Kathy Gordon, Terry Harper, Barbara Hartman, Carol Humanchuk, Deandra Hurst, Linda Cull, Charlie LaRosa, Jennifer Lem, Rich Long, Micheline Lautenheiser, Heiser, I'm sorry, Mickey, Carol McAllister, Bill McGinley, Betty McPherson, Janet Menning, Allison Norton, Jean Oberman, Paula Onachofsky, April Palin, Joyce Price, Alice Quick, Mabel Reamer, Joyce Rowand, Kathleen Sedley, Jody Woods, and Tanya Wright. And and Paula, and I forgot Paula Iman. If I could have you face me just for a second. These are things that we've shared in our, uh, in our training. Let me just say what a privilege it has been for me to get to know you through this time. It's been uh, one of the greatest joys of my life, uh, just to know you uh, the way that I do now and to think of the future that we have together in serving Jesus Christ in this body. In Romans 15:7, the Apostle Paul says, Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Stephen ministers, we ask no more and no less of you than that you accept your care receivers as you have been accepted by God in Christ. With God's help and in the name of our Lord Jesus, will you do this? Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, Christ, as, as in Christ God forgave you. Stephen Ministers, we ask no more and no less of you than that you who have been forgiven by God in Christ, carry the healing message of God's forgiveness in Christ to your care receivers. With God's help, and in the name of our Lord Jesus, will you do this? And on the night when he was betrayed, Our Lord Jesus said to his followers, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Stephen Ministers, we ask no more and no less of you than that you love your care receivers as Jesus Christ himself loves you. We do this. because of your desire to faithfully serve our Lord Jesus and his people, as Stephen ministers, it is my joy to commend you to the care and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As you in turn care for others, work hard, use the skills that you have learned, releasing the gifts and the talents the Spirit of God has entrusted to you so that you might be a blessing to those to whom you will minister. Continue to study, learn from the situations you encounter. Pray for the people whose lives you are privileged to share. You yourselves be humble enough to receive the same kind of love and care that you offer to others. Act boldly without fear, knowing that Christ himself is with you. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. At this time what I would like to do is I'd ask you to gather up if you can, gather around, and I'd like to ask any of our deacons, all of our pastors who are here, if you could please come forward as well. We wanna lay hands on these, on these dear saints uh, and pray over them. I'm gonna ask Mark to come as well. Yeah, just kinda of gather as, as well as you can, scooch up. You know, you love each other, I know you do, get close.
1: Pastor Mark is going to pray. Lord, we come this morning and there are certain things we confess we know are true. We know that we are a broken people. We live in a broken world. We know that life is not as it ought to be, as you designed it to be, and we know it is because of our sin and the sin of others. The second thing we know, Lord, we know that you have come in the person of Christ to bring healing to our world. And we know that you are the shelter in the time of storm. You are near to the brokenhearted. You are a friend to the friendless. But Father, the third thing we know is that you call your children to extend your kindness to others. And God, it is with joy this morning that we pray over these 41 people that you have taken their life story and you have designed to allow difficulty, suffering, and through that suffering and shaping, they have come to know Christ better. Lord, that they have experienced you as their healer, that they have experienced you as their stronghold in times of trouble. They know through their own life journey to walk with you and to lean into you in pain and loss. So, God, what a joy it is to commission them this morning to go with a life message. So, I was thinking this morning, there's over 1,800 years of life that I'm praying over right now, life stories that you have used and shaped and you have made yourself known into, and Lord, we commission them now to share their life story of a faithful God, of a Christ they have come to know and love, that they might share that story and do life with others in similar seasons of loss, and pain and confusion so lord we commission them we give them to you we believe you to use them we thank you for what this means for our church as a church family because god we desire so much that we can communicate in word in deed in prayer that there is a God that is near to people in suffering and loss and confusion. So use these ministers, Lord, by their words, but also by their presence to communicate a God who is faithful, who is precious, who is, as Ben talked about this morning, a God who loves. And we love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Thank you all. Thank you, Fellowship Community Church, for um, allowing us to be here, to minister to you. And now it's, it's to you to accept this ministry, to receive it, and to make it a part of, of, uh, of our body as a whole. You're dismissed.